Praise the Lord, Brother Stowe. Praise the Lord. Back at it. Last, last week, we talked last week about Trinity, the Trinity in the Bible. The Trinity not in the Bible. The Trinity is not in the Bible, is it? No, sir. There's no way. There's no Trinity. The, the, the word Trinity never appears in Scripture. The Bible never says Holy Three, always says Holy One, right? Yes, sir. Uh, John 5 and 7 in the King James only, it has the biblical use of the word three in relation to God, and it says that these three are one. Oh, right. It already tells us that. Uh, the word a word for word translation of first john five and seven would say that there are three that bear record the spirit the water and the blood and these three these three in one agree mm-hmm. so three persons never appears in scripture no sir in fact the only time uh, i thought this was interesting the only time a the word person is used in relation to god in the bible is in hebrews one and one through three where it says uh that it uh, in relation to God, it says that the Son is the expression of the one person of God. So, there's only one. There's only one. Yeah. So how 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 do we get all of these? I mean, there's a most of the denominal world, or most of the world. Uh, what one man said: uh, mainstream Christianity all um, uh, submit to the Trinitarian doctrine. And, and we talked about this last week. So uh, let me say this. If you have not seen last week or heard last week's podcast, you need to go back and listen to that again, because a lot of what we're going to talk about today, you may not understand. And we don't have time to go through to rehearse it all. Um, but there are there are. Oh, what was I going to say? The mainstream uh, Christianity. Christianity. Most people submit to themselves to this. And whenever we teach them Bible studies to show them this that there is only one God and the Trinity doesn't really exist in the way that they think that it does. Right. Yes, um, I would say that 99% of the time, uh, uh Trinitarians mm-hmm. who submit themselves to that type of theology are, they see that there isn't one. They see, Oh my goodness. I never realized that it was like this. In fact, most of the time you've, you've testified to this when we, when we explain it scripturally, how the Godhead, Yes, they they come and they're like, wow, that makes a lot more sense. Yeah, they know who they're praying to now. Right, exactly. Jesus. Remember, Brother Louis he said, I don't. I remember when I was a Catholic, I didn't know who to pray to. That's I right. felt bad if I'd pray to the Father and then the Son would get upset if I didn't include Him. He, he said, I got so confused. He was relieved. Yes, to, that there was only one God. There's only one God. I do a Bible study on the Bible made simple. You have that yes, too. Sir. The little slideshow that we have. Mm-hmm. Well, in there, when I was developing that little Bible study, I went online and I typed in Trinity and because I was trying to find images, you know, to put on my PowerPoint. Yes, sir. So I tried I tried to find an image of the Trinity. Right. So if you go online and you Google Trinity, I don't know, maybe I can put it up there for everybody to see. But uh, just Google it. If you're at home, just stop the tape right now and just Google Trinity images and what you'll find, like one of the very first pictures, is a picture of God, the Father, old man with a white beard, like. sitting on the throne. And then there's a young man, just like him, it looks just like him, only, you know, 50 younger. years younger, right? Like. With a beard. That's Jesus. And then there's the dove that's flying around. And it, the, the caption says, the Holy Trinity. So literally, they're trying to depict, this, this doctrine depicts three separate Persons or entities, right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. they all agree in one, and and they're all in unison, you know that sort of thing. And how do you call a dove a person? I know, right? Well, the spirit of God, 
Um, so we understand. So we go back to the scripture. So oh. what does the Bible say? That's and where we, we want to. That's know. what we talked about last week. What, what does the Bible say about God? And the God is is one. Yes, sir. He, there's never been one beside me. He said, "There's never been a God beside me. I know not of any." This is Isaiah. How many? You, you, I have nineteen Old Testament scriptures that say God is one, mm-hmm. and I have nine New Testament scriptures that say that explicitly. It's not. Right. It's not ambiguous. It's absolutely expressed. But I've talked to the Trinitarian people before, and they'll say, "Well, we believe that God is one, but He's three persons, but He's one." Well, the, to me, I, that even racks my brain. That, that right there does not make sense to me. If he's one, he's one. If he's three, he's not one. Yes, and how can a, uh, like I said, right. a dove's not a person. It's, right. It represents the spirit of so, God. So here's what they say. This is, what the, this is why I say they. I don't, I don't want to talk. This is what the Trinitarian doc, the creed, the Trinitarian creed, okay. says that uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, that they are three separate persons, and they all are, are one would be agree in one or right. have the same mind or the same will, the same everything. They are co-equal. Now, this is very important. We're going to talk about that in a minute. That This is what Trinitarians say, that they are co-equal and co-eternal. Now, we hmm. talked about this already. How can you eternal, to be eternal means you never have an ending. Or a beginning. Or a beginning. This is where we get them. Yes. This is where we get that doctrine, that document that they wrote is if Jesus was ever created, then he can't be eternal. Right, and he was, he was born of a woman. Right, but, but what I'm saying is they he, say, well, well G, God the Son mm-hmm. is a God also, okay. and he's the second person, right? Right. And he has uh, full power, and he's co-equal with the Father. This is important. That's what they say. He's right. co-equal. That's right. And, uh, and he is co-eternal. Well, that means he never had a beginning, that's right. So that's what that would but mean. But that would contradict their own doctrine when right. they say that he was uh, um, that he was created at some point in time. Got you. Uh, as the son, as the second person. So that's what that picture. And then and then I have another slide. The next slide is to indicate what we feel like the scripture would declare that there's not three persons. There's only one spirit. God is one spirit, not multiple spirits. He's only one. Yes. He fills both time and space. There's no room for another Holy Spirit or another third person or whatever. Right. If there's God is one spirit, and he doesn't have to be more than one spirit to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. He can just be one spirit and do everything. Um, so he's one spirit, and uh, that one spirit manifested himself in, in this man, Christ Jesus, who was not created before time, but he was created at Bethlehem. He was created there. Of a woman. For he the was born of a woman, yes. Yeah, so we got through all that last week. Watch the tape last week. So what we're going to talk about today is, well, where do they get, where does this doctrine come from? And where are some of the controversial scriptures, I should say, when we talk to Trinitarians about uh, what the Bible says, they'll bring up these points that they have questions about. And one of them is, we talked about this a moment ago, is how was Jesus, the Bible says that God, Jesus was sent from heaven. Mm-hmm. You know, he says, as manna was sent from heaven, so uh, Jesus said, as, as the Father sent manna down from heaven, so was I sent from heaven, right? I'm the bread of life. Yes. So what, how do you explain that? If he was sent from heaven, that means that he pre-existed somehow. No, it doesn't mean that at all. Sent, being sent denotes the man's originated in the supernatural plan and action of God, the Logos that we talked about before. 
He was born of a virgin by the power of the Holy Spirit. The word sent reveals that the man Jesus was on a divine mission. It doesn't mean that he preexisted from the beginning like they talk about. Yeah. So he was just sent. It was, he was on a mission, and he fulfilled his mission on this earth. Right. So it'd be like if he said, just like manna was sent from heaven, right. so well, so I was sent from heaven, right? So yeah. we so if we if we took that literally, mm-hmm. in the literal sense, uh, then we we would say that well, God must have had a bunch of manna up in surrounding His throne. You know, maybe He had a warehouse full of manna in heaven, and He took it. And he sent it down from heaven. Well, that's not what... It did not have to be pre-existing. No, right. Yeah. So what, what was Jesus was saying was... Well, you explain it. You well, can, John 1 yeah. and 6 describes John the Baptist as a man sent from God, even though he clearly did not live in heaven prior to his birth. Right. John was sent from God, right? Right. Also, yeah. As a human being, as a son of God, Jesus was sent into the world from the womb of Mary. Yeah. He was born just like the rest of us, empowered by the Holy Spirit, ordained by the plan of God, to be our sacrificial atonement. Yeah. So there was no pre-existing John, and there was no pre-existing Jesus. Yeah, no, there was no pre-existing manna either. Man, oh, right. So what manna. Jesus was saying was, from heaven, God had a plan to feed Israel in, the, in, the, in Egypt, yes. in the desert. Yes. And his plan was sent from heaven in the form of manna being distributed among the people. Mm-hmm. So the same thing would be with Jesus. He says the same manner that God sent manna from heaven. Yes, sir. He sent me here to you. It didn't have to, he didn't have to preexist. So I, I agree with that completely. Let me read another one. Yeah. Uh, John 17 and 18, as thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. Talking about his right. disciples. Then Jesus said to them again, peace be unto you as my father has sent me. Even so I send you. Ascend I you. Sending the Son did not require preexistence in heaven as a second person any more than sending the disciples out, they would be in heaven preexisting as well. This right. would be very confusing and it would just be crazy to think that to be sent, you have to be preexisting right. in heaven. So the controversies continue here. If we go to uh, somebody might say with this, well, well, Brother Whitaker, we understand you're saying that Jesus is is the manifestation of God. He's the glory of God. Of course, that's what Scripture says, uh, that God manifested himself in the flesh. Yes, sir. That he shed his own blood. Yes, sir. That Jesus was reconciling the world back to himself, right? Yes, sir. Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Uh, I and the Father are one. So we don't believe, and I don't believe, that there are three separate persons. I believe that God is one spirit. There's only one spirit. When that one spirit touches man... We call that the, the we call that the Holy Spirit. We call that the, the 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 Holy Spirit of God interacting with us is the Holy Ghost. That's right. that's God interacting with human flesh. That doesn't mean there's a separate spirit. That would not to me that wouldn't even make sense. But uh, so they they'll, they'll say this. They'll say, well, what about Jesus? Uh, we we see Jesus on the right hand. We're, we're going to talk about that in a minute. But okay. uh, Jesus on the throne. Jesus is on the throne. Go to Revelations 5 and 1, and uh, here's what John says. And I saw on the right hand of him that sat upon the throne a book written within and one on the backside, sealed with seven seals. And I saw an angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and loosen the seals thereof? No man in heaven nor in earth nor under the earth was able to open the book to look therein. And John says, and I wept because there was no man found worthy to open the book. Verse 5. And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not, John. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, 
the root of David, oh, right. very powerful, hath prevailed to open the book and loose the seven seals. Well, who is this? Who is the root of David? Of course, the root of David is the offspring of David. That's the same. That's what the scripture says. Jesus is the root of David. Yes, sir. And the offspring of David. Hang, hang on now. How could Jesus be the originator of David and also be the son of David? Because he can do whatever. Because he's because he Jesus was the Jesus is the creator. Yes, he was. He is the father. Right. Who created David. Right. He is the root. Yes, sir. Of David. And he is also the offspring, offspring. of David right there. There's a there is a whole biblical theology that that annihilates the second person. Yes. That God created a second being to do this. No, it was God is the God was in flesh. Right. And uh, so it manifests himself. We, in fact, we, Jesus is the express image of God. He's the only image of God we will ever see, right? Yes, okay. Sir. Verse number six. And I beheld, he says, so they said the root of David, the, the lion of Judah is going to be able to open the book. And I behold, and lo, in the midst of the throne, uh, in the midst of the throne, and four beasts in the midst of the th- in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, and as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, with seven spirits of God uh, sent into all the earth, and they came and took, and he came, the lamb then, as it had been slain, came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. So, um, verse number 13, and every creature which is in heaven and, un- and on the earth and under the earth, as such that are in the sea and they're in them, Heard I saying, Blessing, honor, and glory, and power to be upon him that sit upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. So people will say, Well, there there it is right there. We have John who's who's seeing this heavenly abode, and he sees the Father on the throne, and he sees the Son coming to take or coming to take the book. So there's two separate persons. John saw it, right? So the question begs to see if all the scriptures in the in the Bible, all the ones that you said that that are de- declare one God and God is in the flesh and He shed His own blood and there's only one, then how is this happening? Well, we have to understand that John uh, did did John see uh, the Spirit of God take the book? No, John said no man has seen God at any time. So yeah, so he didn't see. A father sitting on the throne. John's the one that says, "No man, has, no seen man has seen God." So there's no man has seen the Father. So what did he see? We have to understand, and we there there's really not a debate in this. Most every theologian I think would say this that the Book of Revelation is written in symbolic form. Absolutely. I mean, we think about this. Uh, the the verse six says that. Um, let me see. John's the lion. Okay. First of all, John says that the lion would open the book. All right. And then he saw a lamb as it had been slain. Yes. So he's, did he see a real lamb? No. That was bloody and killed and moving around uh, that had transformed itself into a lion? I mean, how, how is all this? Well, these are all symbols. This is symbolic of, of authority and positions and uh, different things. And he also says that this lamb had seven eyes and seven horns. That's a pretty weird-looking lamb, isn't that it? That is, yeah. So I'm going to have time to go through the Bible study here of what the seven lambs, the seven eyes and the seven horns, seven horns of the power. So he's seeing that this lamb, as it has been slain, mm-hmm. has the seven horns, which represents the power. Oh, right. So it's got all the power, right? So John's not seeing 
a physical, this, you know, the father, the son, and then the spirit somewhere, you know, he's not seeing these three things. Uh, he, he is literally seeing what he is seeing is what happened when Jesus died on the cross, when the man Christ Jesus died on the cross, mm-hmm. Jesus went behind the veil, presented his blood in the, in this. So Jesus represented our high priest. He was our mediator between God and man. That's true. And he went to the, he went to the judge and to the, to the throne of God and this man, Christ Jesus. And, uh, and he would then became our mediator. See, he was worthy to open the book and to uh, view this, you open know, read the, the, you know, open the seals. Yeah. So in, so if you read on in revelations four and two, it says immediately, so this is what else John saw. He says, immediately I was in the spirit and behold, a throne was set in heaven. And then he says, and one sat upon the throne. There you go. One sat upon the throne. Four, uh, the four living creatures, each one had six wings and full of eyes and all around within, and they did not rest night and day saying, this is what they were saying to the one who was on the throne, holy, holy, holy Lord God almighty, which was and is to come. So who is that? Jesus. Jesus. We already know that John already told us that the one who was and is to come. Yes. is Jesus. He says that in Revelations 1 and 8. When Jesus stood before John, when he first entered this revelation, this prophetic, you know, uh, uh, a vision, uh, vision yeah. uh, he says, I am Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and is to come, the Almighty. So here John already, Jesus already established, John, I am the one who was and is to come. I am the Almighty. Yes. And then in chapter 4, he says, I saw one in the midst of the throne, and guess what? It was the same God that spoke to me a few minutes ago, right? Yes, sir. And so it was Jesus. So Jesus is in the midst of the throne. That's what the Bible says also in Revelation 7 and 17. He says, for the lamb which was in the midst of the throne shall feed them all. So now John sees this lamb in the midst of the throne. Okay. So what was he saying? What was he seeing there with the lamb taking the book from the one that was on the throne? Well, all we can do is explain it scripturally, right? We can take our own. Uh, try to manifest our own doctrine from that, but we can take it scripturally. Was John seeing the man, the sacrifice, in the intercessory role? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And how do we, can we use, can we define that with scripture? Definitely. First Timothy 2 and 5. This is what John was seeing. He was a seeing a fulfillment or the actual man. manifestation of what Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 2 and 5. He says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. There you go. So John was just seeing that happening. He was seeing the man Christ Jesus being our mediator. So uh, 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, the Bible also says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Now watch this. So uh, all things are of God, and God reconciled us to himself through Christ Jesus. So this is what John saw. Yes. He saw that the, 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 the Spirit of God was, was uh, the reconciliation of the mankind through Jesus Christ, the sacrifice right. through the spirit to the spirit of God. Okay, so he's going to go on in verse nineteen. To wit, 
that God was in Christ, yes. reconciling the world unto himself. Yes. yes. So he explains it you right there. It. There's not two him. persons. No, that's he, right. he explains it perfectly right there. He says the man Jesus was reconciling the world to us. Well, who was the man Christ Jesus, Paul? He said it was God in Christ reconciling the world to himself. This is the reason why John could see this lamb had, has been slain, taking the book from the one that sat upon the throne. And then the very next scene, he sees Jesus in the midst of the throne. Yes. So one. there's only one on the throne. So what about that right hand of God? People will say that. All right. Generally speaking, we're talking about the power and authority, the well, supremacy it, it, of God. In Acts chapter 7. 7 and 55. Yeah. He says Stephen there is being stoned or about he's being, you know. Yeah, he was being uh, interrogated. Stoned. Right. He was being killed. He said when they, when they heard. Let me read 55. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. The right hand of God is not a position, a physical position, but it is power and authority that has been given to God, just like you said about King David, who's standing on the right hand of David. That is all the power and authority that was given to him as the king. Yeah. So it's not a position. It's not another chair because God is a spirit. Yeah. And then go ahead. So any any, any Jew, Jewish theologian, yes. if you're if you're a Jewish, if you if you went to Israel mm -hmm. and you asked a Jewish theologian, because they're all one God people. Right. If you uh, I've talked to people from Israel, Jewish men and women. And uh, I was talking to one the other day and he was a guy cleaning my fireplace. And uh, he I, I found out he was a devout Jew. And so I said, uh, I said, well, I'm a Christian. And he said, okay, I, I, here's what I told him. I introduced myself. I said, I'm, I, hey, brother, I'm a, I'm a brother from another mother. And he's like, what? And I said, I'm, a, I'm adopted into the children of Abraham. And he, was, he looked at me kind of weird. And I said, I'm born again of the, of the one true God, the Jehovah God of the one true God. Of course, to a Jewish person, this is like music to their ears. It's soothing to their heart to, right. to find somebody else in the world who's been converted to to the one God theology, because they're all oneness. All these Jews have, and for thousands of years they have been. Yes, sir. Uh, in the Old Testament, they were all one God people. And in the New Testament, the writers of the New Testament were Jewish theologians. They were Jewish men and had all understanding of all Scripture. And so when, when I was explaining this to him, I, I said, "We, I don't believe in the Trinity. You would not believe the relief on this man's face. He said, I've met a Christian who doesn't believe in the three persons. I said, yeah. I said, we believe that God is one. And he got, he lit up. He was like, this is so exciting. So if you, when you try to explain the Trinity to a Jewish person, to a, I mean, a devout Jew, yeah. they are, it, it is, it is very offensive because they are absolutely, this is the reason why if there was a revelation, this mm -hmm. is David Bernard said this one time, uh, if there was a revelation of the triune God in the New Testament, it would have been a huge deal. I mean, it would have been, there would have been chapters written about this because it would, it would have uh, derailed I'm, all of their belief in God for these hundreds of years. Yes, that's true. Uh, and there's, but there's not. 
No. There simply is not. So the Old Testament simply just manifests itself in the New Testament and explains itself. That's why Paul says great is the mystery of godliness. He's talking about the mystery of how God was going to do all of these Old Testament prophecies that that you said were one God. Isaiah prophesied about the Messiah coming and uh, but he's the the Father is going to be the Jehovah is going to be the one to be our savior. He's going to be re- our redeemer. All of the they're going to pierce his hands and his feet, right? That's John, right. they prophesied about John. He's going to pave the way of Jehovah, right? Well, who who came? Jesus came. Jesus came. Jehovah came. That so so John says or Paul says, great is the mystery of godliness. How God now the now the mystery has been revealed that God manifested Himself in flesh, justified of angels, seen of preached unto the Gentiles, received up in the glory. And we're talking about Jesus. Right, he's talking about Jesus. So if you ask any Jew- Jewish theologian, if you go over there and say, hey, I believe in three gods because Stephen said, I saw uh, you know, Jesus standing on the right hand of God. How do you explain that? Every, they're they're going to tell you that that is Jewish terminology, and that indicates the, the right hand does not indicate physical position, like you said. It is the, the, it is the position of power. So if, if I asked a Jewish theologian, who is standing on the right hand of the presidency of the United States of America today? What would they say? I don't know. I haven't talked to them. They would say President Trump. Okay. Yeah. Because uh, some people might have might have said Pence. Right. But, but, but that's, that's not what not, that means. That when means you ask a Jewish it, man, yeah, Jewish a Jewish, man. look it up online and find out what the Jewish people say. And that's who wrote the Bible. That's who, right. that's who Stephen was a Jew talking to Jews. And he said, I see Jesus on the right hand, standing on the right hand of the glory of God. Well, there you go, right there, the glory of I God. I know, right. Yeah. It, 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 re- it wasn't even on the throne. It was on the right hand of the glory of God. So Jesus was the manifestation of the, of the glory of the Lord. That's, we found all those other scriptures last week. So another thing that some people will talk about is the usage of the pluralities in the Old Testament. Uh, when they, when they, first of all, like Genesis one and 26, then God said, let us make man in our own image, in our image, according to our likeness. Uh, I was listening to a sermon one day on the radio, very popular uh, guy in Houston. He's got thousands and thousands of members and, uh, he was using the scripture and he says, let us make man in our, he, he stopped right there and he, in the middle of a sermon and he says, there is proof of the Trinity, Trinity. Because he says, let out our image, you know, so there we know that there's, and he said this, he said, that's the father, the son, and the Holy ghost. And there we have proof of the, of the Trinitarian doctrine. Well, first of all, if the word our indicates plurality of persons, mm-hmm. then how does ver- chapter ver- one of 26 of Genesis indicate that there's only three right. could be two then could be 50. It doesn't say so. We can't. We cannot take the Trinitarian uh, doctrine based off of one scripture, obviously. And I know that they don't do that. And I'm not saying that they do. But, but he, in his, this was his in his defense. Okay. And this, whenever you talk to, uh, you see the debates online or whatever about the Trinity versus the Oneness. You're going to see the Trinitarians bring this one scripture up. Well, then you, but you got, like you said, you got to keep reading, right? Mm -hmm. So Genesis 1 and 26, but I'll go to 1 and 27. He says, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him, male and female created him. So one scripture, he says, plural. Mm -hmm. The next scripture, he says, singular. Yes, sir. So he, is it our, or is it his own, you know? Mm -hmm. And we also know in Isaiah 44 and 24, God says, the Lord, that means Jehovah, created the heavens alone, created it, the earth by himself, 
uh, Malachi two and ten, there was only one Creator according to the Scripture. Yes, sir. So we we so the Scriptures would t- defeat right the, their belief in that the, that our image indicates more than one person. Yes, that there was one beside me, you know, or whatever. There's not. The Scripture says, "If the, is there any beside me." No. God says, if there is a God beside me, I know not of any. That's what the Bible says in the Old Testament. So if the if the plural in Genesis 1 and 26 refers to the Son of God, how do we reconcile this then with the rest of the thousands of scriptures, right? Yes, Hundreds of scriptures that indicate not, and that the Son was not born until years later in Bethlehem. That's right. So we understand that the that the Son was created. We talked about the this plenary, already. The Logos. Yeah. Uh, the Galatians four and four. Mm-hmm. That this when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman. Right. Now, made of a woman, his son. That the only time that the, the Bible ever talks about the son being created in the scripture. Yes, sir. It says that he was not created in eternity. He wasn't created as a second person anywhere. It says he was created by a woman. And was so the first time we ever laid our eyes upon the sun mm-hmm. was in uh, Bethlehem. That's right. At, in the manger. So wh- where do we get the plural? So God uses pluralities in other, other, other ways in the Old Testament. He uses the word Elohim, mm-hmm. and that is a plural. Some, I mean, that's for, for Hebrew terminology. That's what you're talking about. Attributes. Yeah, it's, it's, it is plural in its it is uh, plural in its origin. So people, the Trinitarians, and people say, well, there's God's plural. He's using the word Elohim. That means that he's plural. He's indicating the three persons of the Godhead. But it doesn't have to mean that. In fact, it means the opposite. So if you take the word Elohim and you mm-hmm. find out how did the Jewish people, that terminology, how did they use it in other places? Well, they used it to describe the many attributes of a one singular thing. Right. It doesn't have to mean more than one thing. Just like he used, they used the word Elohim to, to talk about the golden calf. Okay. They created the golden calf in the Egypt or in the wilderness, and it, the, they referred to the golden calf as Elo, an Elohim. Well, we know there wasn't more than one golden calf. Right. They use it to describe uh, all these other idols in the Old Testament, Shamos, Dagon, Beelzebub, all of these other. They use the word Elohim. Uh, the, the Bible even applies Elohim to Jesus Christ. And we know that Jesus Christ was only one person. That's right. Okay, so uh, it, the, it also, uh, Daniel uses the word, uh, he uses this terminology, we and our, to indicate himself. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so there's many other uh, biblical uh, proof right. that Elohim in, or in our and the Elohims of the Old Testament do not necessarily mean more than one person. Right. That they could still be one spirit of one God and doing that. So the question then we asked a minute ago is, was Jesus in the beginning with God? You oh, know, John oh, 1 and 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And verse 14 said, And the Word became flesh. Became flesh. So a Trinitarian person might say, well, the, the Word obviously there means that he was, uh, that was Jesus in the beginning with God. So... It's the, it's the Logos, it's the plan. Yeah, so the word, that word in, in John 1 and 1, you have to study the Greek. Okay. What does that word mean? It means? Jesus. She, well, no, it means plan of God. Right. Yeah, right. so it's not that, it's just like the scripture says that, um, uh, that Jesus was slain from the foundation, the lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. Well, we certainly don't believe that Calvary took place 
yeah, at you the know, beginning. at the beginning, yes. that we understand that what God was referring to there is the plan of God's salvation was in the beginning. All right. Uh, and so that John was saying the same thing, that the self-expression of God or the plan of God mm-hmm. was in the beginning. That plan became flesh and yes. dwelt among us so that that scripture can be explained easily, easily many with with scripture without the introduction of the Trinitarian philosophy. You mentioned the CEO of a company having a board meeting when he said, we need to give everyone mm-hmm. a raise. He's speaking yeah. as the supreme authority right. because he's the only one that can make that happen. Right, exactly. What about John the Baptist when he baptized Jesus, the Trinitarians? I was sitting in a Bible study one time with some Trinitarian people, and they read that that uh, in, in Matthew 3, 16 and 17, that... Uh, you know when Jesus baptized when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, yeah. the, he the heard voice, a voice from heaven. This, this is, is my son, whom whom I am well pleased. Yeah, and he and then he beheld the Spirit descend upon him like a dove, and so like they, as of like as as of dove, right? Yeah. So explain that. So, when they, well, again, it's just God manifesting Himself in a, in any way He wants. He has many attributes, and He's letting John the Baptist know that this is the one who I said would come in yeah. the plan of God. Right, was, that was His plan. Jesus would come and be the atonement for our sins. So God doesn't have to become more than one person no. to manifest himself in a thousand different ways. No. Nope. Nope. He can be the son standing there in the flesh, right. and he can be the voice from heaven, because right. that was what John needed to hear. That, that message was for John and for the people. Right. So John was looking at his cousin, All right. and he heard the voice from heaven yes. speak and say, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And the Bible says that John uh, was given a confirmation by by God before this happened that you will know the Messiah when the Holy Spirit ascends upon him and remains. So and that's what happened that the manifestation of God made it happen. Exactly. So John was was there. He was he had his hands on the flesh of his cousin Jesus. And then he heard the voice from heaven. This is the Messiah. This is the one, John. And then he saw the proof the Holy Spirit ascend upon him. It didn't say a dove came down. It was like a dove. However, that term Jewish terminology would be describing. Mm -hmm. And it ascended upon him and it remained upon him. So that was just the verification from the one true spirit of the living God that this was the Messiah and so that was for John but you don't God does not have to manifest himself or have to multiply his personalities or persons to do any of that no so all that that could be easily explained praise the Lord so here's the last one and people get so confused about this is why then did Jesus pray if he was God then why did he need to pray my personal thoughts on that Jesus prayed. Wait, 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 oh, over. Okay. A lot of times, uh, another thing that people will ask is uh, they get confused about. I remember Aunt Bunny, I taught her about this for m- months, it seemed like. She came from a Trinitarian background for 60 years. And so she was in here and I was teaching her about the one. She finally, the light came on. She was so excited. Tears rolled down her face. She says, the light came on. Pastor, I see it. I get it. God is only one God. Jesus is God. But her question was, why did Jesus pray? Mm-hmm. And, um, if if Jesus was God, then why did he need to pray? He was praying as an example for us to how to pray to God. Right. He was showing us an example. Well, here here's what they say. Here here's what here's what I would say to them. Okay. That if if you say that God, if you say that Jesus is God, God the Son, God the Father, God the Holy, they are co-equal. 
mm-hmm. and co-eternal, if they're equal, then why would Jesus need to pray? He wouldn't. So that doesn't even make sense right that, there. That doesn't. So what if, right? Is that right? I, I agree. Why would I need to submit myself to a father who I am equal with? Exactly. He has no more authority than I do. That's right. So why would he need to pray? So right there, I would say the fact that Jesus was praying eliminates this theology that Jesus was co-equal, co-eternal, and co-powerful, right? Right. So the only other explanation would be the biblical explanation that Jesus Christ was a man. Right. So we've got to understand, you go back to Isaiah 59, and Isaiah describes for us the... the, the, um, the broken humanity. He says there is a, uh, uh, he, here's how he starts off Isaiah 59. He says God's ears have not, he's not deaf that he cannot hear. Okay. His, his right hand, his power has not shrunk that he cannot save. All right. He says your sin has separated you from God. He's talking to humanity. Mm-hmm. Our sin has separated us from God. So apparently Isaiah sees humanity crying out praying to god okay and our prayers are not reaching god Hmm. and we're asking we're saying well god can't hear us god can't save us his power is diminished why won't he come and help us right Mm -hmm. we are he describes us he says we're groping in darkness he he goes through this whole list of these terrible things that we're we're crying like doves he says we're crying out Mm -hmm. and there's no one to hear and, and Isaiah says that that's because your sin has right. separated you from God. And then he says this, after he describes this whole terrible situation, he says, and God looked for a man who could intercede for humanity, who could pray a prayer mm-hmm. that would reach heaven. And God found none. That's right. So by his own right hand, he came and robed himself in the armor of God. He put on the breastplate of righteousness. He put, so what did he do? Well, Isaiah was the messianic prophet. Yes, he sir. was prophesying about the time when God would create a man, the second Adam, the last Adam created without sin. Mm-hmm. And that man, his job, brother Stowe, yes, sir. Jesus's job as a man was to intercede for us. So when he was on the cross and he cried out, Father, Father, why has you forsaken? He was praying our prayer. That was the very first time that our prayer could reach. Now we could reach people pray, Daniel prayed, and they prayed, and we all understand that. But I'm talking about the prayer for salvation, the prayer for forgiveness of sins, complete forgiveness of sins, not just the rolling away, not just a tabernacle plan that was uh, crippled in, in its in its creation and its existence. I'm talking about the, a full plan of salvation, bringing us back to full righteousness with God. That's true. That could only happen after our mediator came. That's right. He prayed our prayers. He interceded for us. And so he had to be flesh to do that. And to be able to bleed innocent blood. Right. And so so Jesus in his flesh Mm -hmm. was the man who was interceding for us. So, and and God was in that man. God was given that man power and righteousness and all of that was upon him. So the fact that Jesus prayed tells me he was not co-eternal and co-equal with God. That he had to submit himself to that. Now, after he was crucified... And it was finished. His intercessory role was complete. It is finished. 
That's right. And then when they, and then after his resurrection, what he say? All power is given unto me in heaven, in and, heaven earth. and earth. Therefore, use my new name. Baptize him in the new name. Jesus. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Close us in prayer. Thank you, Lord God, for this Bible study and for this discussion today, Lord. And we pray for those that have listened. And if there's anything that they're wondering about, we pray that your word would be clear in their hearts and minds. Lord, it's a revelation that comes from you. And Pastor and I have had that revelation come upon us. And we're thankful today that there are those who are listening and they're considering and they're praying about the things that they've heard today. Bless them in Jesus' name we pray. Hallelujah. Amen. See you next week, and we're going to talk about where this Trinitarian doctrine came from, and and uh, where it was, how it was developed, and the the, the process that, uh, for which we have it today. Praise the Lord. We'll see you next week. God, God bless, bless you. you.